Welcome to the Evoke EQ podcast, where we have emotionally intelligent conversations for evolving leaders. I am your host, Whitney Warren, a multi-passionate entrepreneur, EQ trainer, certified Enneagram facilitator, big stage speaker, and curious question asker. If self-growth, compassionate leadership, and changing the world are your idea of a good time, then you've come to the right place. Let's dig in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Evoke EQ podcast. I have two fabulous people here with me today, and we are going to dig into all things conference, Enneagram for Evolving Leaders Conference, and talk about that today. But before we get into the topic, I want to introduce the people who you will be hearing from. One is no stranger to the podcast. You might have heard her previous episode where Laura and my friend Kim showed up and talked about whole other journey. But today I'm going to reintroduce Laura. Laura Miller has worked in corporate learning and development and leadership development for over 10 years, focusing on building learning programs for everyone from early stage tech startups to Fortune 500 companies. More importantly, she spends her time outside of work in partnership with Lead Des Moines, building their youth leadership initiative program and exposing emerging leaders to the principles of community leadership. When asked about her greatest personal accomplishment, she cites achieving sobriety from alcohol. And then when asked about her greatest professional accomplishment, she cites every time she sees someone on her team being promoted or growing in their career, because she knows that she had a hand in supporting them to what they see as success. Our other guest is brand new to the podcast, but I'm guessing this will not be her only appearance. Katie Petermeyer is a scrum master with EMC Insurance Company, assisting in leading and integrating agile delivery initiatives throughout the entire company. She does this by emphasizing team collaboration, collective decision-making, and positive conflict resolution. Katie is passionate about supporting growth and development for herself and her community, and in her spare time, leads recovery meetings at The Beacon, a nonprofit supporting women returning to the workplace after incarceration or drug abuse. When asked about Katie's greatest personal accomplishment, she cites five years of sobriety from alcohol. And when asked about her greatest professional accomplishment, she is most proud about speaking out in advocacy for creating psychological safety and trust within the workplace. Ladies, I am so thrilled to have you two here. Thank you for being here, Lauren, Katie. Thank you for having us. I'm happy to be back. Thanks for having us. This is actually my very first time on a podcast. So I who better to break it in with than you? I'm thrilled to be here. I have a feeling that you're going to be a natural. (laughs) So we are here because both of you signed up to come to the very first Enneagram for Evolving Leaders Conference. And I just, first of all, want to acknowledge you and thank you for saying yes to a first-time event, showing up to something that had never been tested, you were just like, hey, why not? So my first question is, why did you buy a ticket? (laughs) No, uh, I've been on a personal growth journey for the last few years, you know, working on understanding myself, understanding my motivations. Sobriety was part of that, but only part. I thought it was all of it until I got there and realized there was a lot more work to do and a lot more to know about myself. And this just seemed like a a good way to take that next step. I had no idea how much I learned about myself. 
but that was it was it just seemed like a natural next step as I move forward. Yeah. So in your growth journey, you were like, cool, let's add this puzzle piece into the mix. Love that. Katie, what about you? Why'd you buy a ticket? Honestly, it was so it was a little runs a little parallel to Laura's story too. So it was it's been interesting. And I feel very grateful because I have these like there's like this many people that I would like consider my close friends at this point. And I think that's natural, right? As you get you get older, you learn some things, whatever. Mm-hmm. Poking around on LinkedIn, I saw, you know, I saw the advertisement for it and I hadn't talked to Laura about it at that point in time yet. So I had no idea that she was also interested. So given that we have been kind of running, you know, pretty similar stories, like there's bits and pieces where things will happen and we're like, wait a second. And, you know, we have, we have that commonality with each other and I was grateful. So when she said that she was too interested in this, I was 100% bought in. Laura's been my mentor for a long time now, somebody that I consider a very close friend. So for instances such as this, she has never led me down the wrong path. So it was, she jumps, I jump. So we dove in and it was awesome. (laughs) I'm just picturing, you know, sisterhood of the traveling pants, like everybody's holding hands and we're jumping off the cliff. Actually, that might be a really good visual for the experience of this this conference. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, you both are holding hands, jumping off the cliff, and you walk in. So, Laura, you come, but you know some people. Like, Katie, work together. You're now friends. You've been, you know, sisters in the sobriety journey. So, like, y'all know a lot about each other. You two are jumping in. Mm -hmm. And then, Katie, I don't want to go too deep into this now, but you also brought team members. Yep. Yep, we sure did. Yeah. Yeah. So, how many of your team did you bring with you? We had three other scrum masters from EMC with us that day. Cool. So you were like, I'm jumping in with Laura. And not only am I jumping in, I'm going to bring my team. So let's see how this goes. So you two, let's focus on your your experience. You two walk into the conference. It's day one. And we're starting the learning. Set the stage. What can someone who might be coming this year expect to see, feel, like describe it to them? I mean, it was a really warm environment to walk into, right? Like I, yes, it helped that I knew Katie and knew a couple other people there and I knew you, but it's, it's a unique experience to walk into a room filled with people who are the same point in wanting to know more about themselves and how other people around them interact with them. We were all there for the same reason. We understood it. And so there was a warmth there and an eagerness to connect that you don't usually see when you walk into conferences, right? Everyone goes to their table, you find your name tag, you sit down and you don't make eye contact until it starts and you're forced to. That was, that was not the vibe here. Yeah. Like what I heard you say in that is, you know, just by nature of the conference itself, it's called Enneagram for Evolving Leaders. It's an emotional intelligence conversation. Like that's what we're doing. And really you both are, are the ideal client for that. You're leaders within your industries. You are passionate yourselves about self-growth because that's what it takes. And you're willing to step into a space of possible discomfort to find those other leaders and see what it looks like to grow within that ecosystem. So I think you're, you're right is this conference attracts people who want to grow. That's just just it. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Laura. Katie, what did you notice? I was very intimidated walking in there, but mm. in an excited way, 
you know, mm-hmm. it was, it was, wow, here we are taking another step with however many strangers, like very much like what Laura said, you know, we're all there for the same reason. And so going into that, understanding that made it less intimidating, but still intimidating because I didn't know who else really was going to be there. Yeah. Um, but, but it was, it was beautiful too, because while we were all in there as strangers, we were all trusting in each other to be able to go on this journey together, to be able to, to, you know, separate maybe from what we had thought we knew and be open-minded and understanding and truly compassionate. And it was the first time in a long time that I think I had seen other people showing genuine concern for strangers. Mm -hmm. Haven't seen that in a long time. And I know there's a lot of really crazy, scary things that are happening in the world, but it was just, it was nice to be able to find that so close to home. So it was very easy to begin to open up and to kind of let the walls break down and be vulnerable. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. started to feel that warmth that Laura was talking about. Thank you for sharing that with me. First of all, thank you for sharing that it was intimidating to walk into that room because I don't think you were the only person that was like, hi, what did I say yes to? (laughs) Like, whoa. Like, and then you read your Enneagram report and you're like, I am exposed. I am exposed. And like, do they know this? Because they're about to learn this about me. Like, it's a risky thing. So like, acknowledge, I mean, both of you, thank you for taking that risk. And we will even hear, um, I didn't introduce their Enneagram types, but Laura, you're a seven. And, you know, of course, she's thinking like, there's a fun bias, like, I'm going to go have fun. Like, that's naturally what you might think about. (laughs) That's all I thought walking in. I was like, it's gonna be fun. I'm gonna learn something new, but it'll be fun. I get to talk to people. It's great. And then Katie, my my self-preservation eight in there is like, well, okay, I don't know what power and control I'm going to have. I don't know what else is going on in this room. And like, wasn't that you knew you could handle yourself, but you're like, but like, am I going to have to? And that, you know, as a fellow eight, that's the question I'm always asking when I walk into a room. Am I going to have to handle it for me and everybody else in this room? Or does the person in charge actually have it handled? Oh, yeah. Hopefully it was you at the front of the room, so you had to handle your gun. Well, yeah. I would, you know, whew, me and my my very, very trusty team. Yes, we as a, as a collection, we do have it handled. Um, okay, so thank you, first of all. They, like, we had intimidation, we had fun, but it was both like, you know, Laura, it wasn't all fun and games. No, like, tell me, tell me what it actually was for you. Um, you know, I think, first of all, when you get your IEQ 9 report, no matter who you are, what type you are, where you come from, there are things in there that you read about yourself that uh, are, you know, are true and feel. Oh, they cause a little bit of pain, right? It's like, ooh, I don't, I might know that about myself. I don't like seeing it on paper. I didn't I necessarily need it to be printed right in front of uh, me. And I don't need strangers around me to know that part of me uh, as well. And you dive into those parts and you reframe. You learn, which is obviously as a seven, I'm already really good at reframing. Like, Let's do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm an old pro. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You learn to reframe for yourself, right? Okay, this isn't all bad. It helps me understand myself. And I, you know, as a seven and and just who I am, I am not an emotional person. I am not a crier. That is meant for me and myself and I alone in a room together. (laughs) And the fact that by 
not by the end of the day, but by midday, day one, I had already cried in front of a room full of strangers. Definitely not what I expected and a huge growth moment for me, right? Mm -hmm. So it went from being this like, oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be great to being like, oh, this is this is serious stuff. And it's serious stuff, not just about helping myself. It's about how knowing myself can help other people too. And, you know, it's not just about work. It's about relationships with my family and my friends. I mean, you start to see the spider web of like how far this goes and you see it so quickly that there's a reason why that room carries the emotion it does. Mm. Katie. You had like, so you came in with that intimidation. You were able to start to let that go. What did you realize as the conference was progressing? That I just need to accept that sometimes I'm a bulldozer and a control freak and it just is part of me. <laughs> it just, yeah. I am who I am, baby. I'm going to show up hundred <laughs> percent authentic every time I can promise you that. And I'm aware of my bulldozer tendencies yeah. and you can ask my husband, I work on it diligently, although, you know, I am not successful 100% of the time, but we strive for excellence, not perfection around here. So there we go. (laughs) And you were talking about a light bulb moment you had when that came clear for you that like, that's not, it can be something that holds me back, but it's not necessarily something that holds me back. Right. Right. And it was, it was the first time that that I had, you know, been really informed that I had the ability to flip the negative script on what controlling really means, right? Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I can just give you a brief example. If I wasn't the way that I was, there's no way that there's no way in hell my marriage would work. Yeah. I'm the detailed person. I, you know, I filter through all of it. Things hardly fall through the cracks with me. That's just who I am as a person. I run the budget, the finances, like that's, that's my skill set in our partnership, you know? So that's not something my husband would care to do. He does other things, but it's, if I didn't have those, that specific skill set about me, then I, you know, there's just a lot of thing in my life and my work. There's no way that I would be able to keep up day to day in IT. There are things changing constantly. You know, we embrace change regularly, hourly, right? Like Mm -hmm. just as a human being. So the controlling piece of it for me, really, it comes from the drive to make sure that I'm ensuring success for those around me and then finding that fulfillment and happiness, whatever that might look like to the best of my ability. So it's, it's really, it's shown me a positive side to it that I didn't think of before. And I'm so happy to hear that because I think as eights, and specifically as female eights. Yes, um, thank you. I'm glad you added the female quotient in yeah. there. Because, I, you know, that bulldozer, the like, the demand that You're that so bossy. So, you know, all that stuff. It's so easy for that to become overarchingly negative. And something we are asked to frequently shy away from. Like this is yes. a bad, uh, categorized as a bad trait. But yes. what I share, you know, with every single type is... Our greatest strength, just on the other side of that very thin sheet of paper, is our greatest weakness. And so Mm -hmm. for the eight, the greatest strength is strength. But on the other side of that, we don't see possibly when it's not ours to be strong for. And so the question I always ask is, yes, okay, we get to to be powerful. We get to be in control. 
but when are we doing it to serve and when are we doing it to protect ourselves potentially from something that we don't need to protect ourselves from? And that's the self-awareness piece that you're in hot pursuit of. It's Absolutely. like, like, okay, this is when it works. And the only thing I need to do about being controlling is watch myself and decide when it's not working. Right. Pull it back. Evoke, to bring forward, recall, or uncover. Emotional quotient, otherwise known as EQ or emotional intelligence, is the ability to consistently understand and manage your emotions. This is the skill set behind effective communication, conflict resolution, compassion, resilience, and personal power. At Evoke EQ, we train evolving leaders on how to expand their impact by transforming internal resistance into abundant energy for your career, your teammates, and your organization. Join us on this expansive journey as we work to make the Midwest an emotionally intelligent place to work and live. Similarly for the seven, the ability to see what's fun, what's next. I mean, awesome, right? But the other side is not being able to stay in the moment, always moving on, not getting the full juice out of this. And so what I really work to do with every single type is here's what works. And if we don't watch it, here's how it's going to take us down the exact same trait. And we all have one. And then Mm -hmm. when we know that, like, you know that about Laura, Laura, you know that about Katie. And then you both can be like, hi, hi, you're doing it. (laughs) And how often conversations between Katie and I that are just casual, fun conversations, do we say like, oh, that's, that's your eight or like, that's my seven, right? It becomes part of us understanding each other on a deeper level and speaking that same language, like oh, it caused you to step back and say, you're right. That is me. Is that like a positive? Is that me showing up as a seven in a positive way? Or is that me as a seven in a way that I need to work through it? And having people around you that speak that language is so valuable, truthfully. Well, and then what I hear is it's, you're speaking to the part of yourself that is showing up in that moment. It's not all of you. I'm not all eight all the time. Sometimes I'm a lot of eight. (laughs) At one time, but I'm not all eight all the time. There's different, like sometimes my two is showing up and I was like, you probably don't need to do that for them. You think you probably do that on their own. I am guessing all three of us share that two feeling center. How are you? How can I help you? <laughs> I'm sure that this shows up for you guys both. And you're like, wait, should I be helping that person? Or am I enabling them? Or like, what's happening here? That's called silent boundaries. I just learned about mm-hmm. that not too long ago in therapy. So Ooh, yes, tell me shows, more. <laughs> shows up for me frequently, frequently where it's like, all right, Katie, Katie, bring it back. <laughs> yeah. So silent boundaries. Sorry, I'm unfamiliar. Tell me about silent boundaries. Just so silent I boundaries. I mean, they're essentially the same as verbal boundaries that you set, Mm. right? So silent boundaries are going to show up as, you know, I'm I'm aware of this behavior that this person causes. So I'm going to make an agreement with myself to protect myself from this person, from the specific situation. You don't tell them about it because typically their reaction is going to end up being harmful to you. So you set that silent boundary to move forward. Oh, oh. Oh, okay. What I hear about silent boundaries is it allows you to maintain integrity with you and your own narrative. Correct. That so you're I can not show up authentically. 
yeah, protect myself mm-hmm. while also not causing harm to the mm-hmm. other person, just accepting and understanding this is the way that they are. Yeah. And that goes into our emotional intelligence, right? <clears throat> Excuse me, of being aware of those behaviors and how this person acts and understanding the pattern. So mm-hmm. we know this is how they act. This is how they typically respond. This is the silent boundary. How does Enneagram support you in understanding your own silent boundaries and watching other people's? Like, how do you know when to set it and how to set it? Like, is there any way that the Enneagram has supported you in that? Yeah, yeah. And I, this triggered for me a lot of positive things. Mm-hmm. So I'll have to map it out for you in another episode yeah. because it is yeah. quite a long story. But ultimately what I've, what I've begun to understand is that it's a bit of a burden sometimes being emotionally intelligent and self-aware as I believe the three of us on this call to be, because then you're opened up to the truth of people and that hurts sometimes, but ultimately, you know, the quest is for the authentic, the authentic peace and everything, right? It's the ultimate truth. And that's what we want, no matter what, I don't want it sugarcoated. So in, in my mind shows up as <clears throat> it allowed me to do further research on things that I'm finding a legitimate and sincere interest in. Mm. And so for me, that means showing up for myself with that integrity piece of show, showing my passion for psychological safety. So there is within your body, when you start to feel conflict or you start to feel something within you, and I'll have to get back to you on what it's called, like the root intrinsic feeling, Mm -hmm. something along those lines, and I'll send you the podcast. It was excellent. Mm -hmm. It's on neuroscience of Mm -hmm. emotional intelligence and psychological safety. Mm -hmm. You begin to feel that in you and there's pain in the avoidance, but there's also, you know, pain, the 10 minutes of pain and just diving into it and understanding it. So knowing that there's no pain-free option, you know, what pain do you choose there? So for me, it's, I choose the 10 minutes and having the crucial conversation Mm -hmm. or addressing the situation and implementing a silent boundary or Mm -hmm. addressing the situation, uh, reading the room, so to speak, and understanding if I can implement a verbal boundary. And it depends on where that person is at in their journey. And typically what I've been finding, at least in my experience, is that there are less people further along in this journey than there are folks like us sitting on this podcast right now which makes it that more difficult, but then also lights a fire up under my ass to keep going. Yep. Because I'm like, I want more people who are aware of their impact in this world, that they have impact in this world. Because most of my experience, and I get to hang out with dozens of people a day between all of my initiatives, is most people are unaware of just how important they are. Mm. And just how important their actions and reactions are. Laura, you were about to say something. Yeah, I think, you know, that is one of the unique parts of the Enneagram versus other kind of personality type tests, right? Like so many of these analyses fit you in a box and that's your box, right? That's all you do with it, right? Like I know from a DISC model, I'm a high D, high Great. Mm -hmm. You read that report. I sound terrifying. And that's where it lands. (laughs) Okay. So do I. So (laughs) aren't we all DI here? Actually, you might have a little of the the analysis situation going on, Katie, but I don't (laughs) know. Like, but no matter where you are, that's the box. And those, those approaches keep you there. 
Meanwhile, Enneagram, if you really dive in the way that you do at this conference, it's like, okay, I understand what a seven is. Mm -hmm. I also understand what a social seven is, which is different than a self-preservation seven or Mm -hmm. a sexual seven. I understand the differences and where I fall in that. I also understand my strengths, my weaknesses, the things to work with, and how to work with other personality types and adapt my type to theirs. Mm-hmm. There's so many more layers. And if we can get more people speaking this language, mm-hmm. I just, it's amazing what we can do. Cause the people that do speak it think how far we get in conversation. And so that's, that's what sets it apart is mm-hmm. gives you a deeper understanding and it doesn't box you in. It almost frees you from your assumptions of who you are and your place in the world. Mm. Oh, not only does it free you from your assumptions of your own place, but for me, it's freed me from the assumptions I've placed on others. For sure. Yeah. By knowing the other types and like Enneagram's a circle for a reason. The entire system is about unity. It's about if it's in you, it's in me. It may not be as strong in me as it is in you, but this is where we support each other. And Mm -hmm. I can say just by when I learned my data, I was like, oh, so I am super motivated by the eight, you know, obviously power and control. I'm really motivated to be liked and appreciated like the two. I'm really motivated for, you know, the seven. These are not being limited and restricted. I can see those. Those are flying all over. I am not motivated to keep the peace. Mm -hmm. I am not motivated to deeply understand. And I am not motivated to create safety and security. Now I can see all over my life where those gaps can create huge misunderstandings with people who do prioritize those things. And so simply now that I know that literally when when somebody is safety and security oriented, so Katie, if you and I met in the workplace and I didn't know this information, I might start to grind against your six, your six ability to see everything that could go wrong. Because I just want to see everything that could go right. But I need you to make sure I don't set myself on fire. And so I could lead, I could choose, like, if I was a less self-aware person, which I have been, I used to not be in relationship with anybody with a high six because it graded so much against my ego that I couldn't, I couldn't see the value that was there. And now that I've let six into my life, I'm like, well, thank you for that. Because it turns out I really needed you. I mean, and what you're saying, this, I've experienced this. I am a calmer, more reasonable person, Mm. right? In all interactions in my life since learning this. Calmer, more reasonable. Isn't that what we all are? I would just like to respond to you in a way that the situation actually warrants. I don't, I get an email that makes me mad and I don't pop off, right? There's not, there's, it's given me pause, even if it's brief, in, in ways that I've never experienced before. And it's given me compassion. Mm-hmm. To, to your point, when you understand those types and you see the parts of yourself reflected in, in another person's type or the parts of yourself that that doesn't exist in, no matter what, I have found myself to be much more compassionate with the people that would have frustrated me in the past or still frustrate me now. But I ask myself why. I'm frustrated by them. What in me is causing the frustration and what in them is causing the frustration and where can I find compromise in it? And that's not even a dialogue that they're part of, right? They sent me an email. They moved on with their day. But you're doing that work for them. 
Yeah, it's it's just part of the dialogue in my head nonstop and understanding where people come from makes just like all the difference in the world. Yeah. Katie, I want to come back because Laura, you hit on it again. And Katie, you brought it into the space that sometimes it is, it can feel like a bit of a burden to be people paying attention. Be the person who pauses before we respond to that email. Be the person that looks at the scenario from the other person's perspective, takes that time, takes that breath, and leads them. Because that, in my experience, I've had so many times where someone comes right at me, like right here. And y'all, I'm an eight. That's not good. It's not great. I, I not only am, an eight, am I an eight, I'm an SX8. I am the the verbally most fiery one that you can possibly interface with. And I have learned that if I can just pause and see it from their perspective, they do not deserve what was about to come out of my mouth. And I don't deserve to unleash that on them and then feel the negative repercussions of what I said out loud later. Really, it's about what I deserve. I don't deserve to experience that part of myself at them. Why do they get that kind of energy? Katie, what you brought into the space was when we're emotionally intelligent, we are able to give and receive grace. We are able to allow people to be themselves. You both brought in the fact that you will have silent conversations with people. Like Katie, you said silent boundaries, loving this term, gonna look more into it. And forever it's like, now. Yeah. I'm like, that, that sounds about right. And then Laura, you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to respond to the email like that. But what you're doing is giving that person space to be themselves, acknowledging that you are not going to change them in this moment. The only thing you can change is how you were about to respond to them. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, can we lead the horse to water? Because I know from personal experience, it takes one time for people to experience, to have to have experienced them wronging, I'll share a personal example. I had a client on the photography side getting super anxious about her son's senior high school photos. It had been three weeks, which is like right at our edge of like when we would normally deliver. And we gotten several emails and there was just felt like there was a breakdown in communication that I couldn't land. And I'm not usually in the communication portion, but felt so uh, misaligned, like we couldn't figure out what was happening. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to call her. I'm just going to see what's going on. I get on the call, she shares everything, and I just listen, and I reflect back to her. What I hear is that you're really worried that your son's photos didn't turn out. What I hear is that you're really worried that maybe he didn't portray himself the way that he wanted to or you wanted to, and because you haven't seen anything yet, it is escalating your worry. What I can tell you is I have seen your son's photos. Actually, they're in your inbox at this exact moment, but I have seen your son's photos, and they're amazing. And she just, like everything diffused because her fear was that it hadn't gone well. That's why she hadn't seen them yet. And there's a whole, there was a whole bunch of other fears that supported that. But because of that, this woman now came in, scheduled another session, came in for herself, hugged me when she arrived, apologized to me, said, how did you do that? Anybody else I've ever come at like that has come right back at me. And I was like, well, what would that serve? And so in giving her that, she was like, I want to learn how to give that to somebody else. And I'm like, cool. Like, I have something for Why you. Why don't you come to the conference? <laughs> <laughs> 
At Ivory House, we believe that every human deserves to have an incredible image of themselves. Widely recognized and recommended as Des Moines' leading portrait studio, we specialize in capturing all the best angles of camera-shy professionals. Our skilled photographers guide you through the entire process with careful posing and detailed direction, sharing their confident energy and years of experience along the way. Clients routinely leave the studio saying, wow, that was so easy. No one has ever made me feel that comfortable and confident in front of the camera. And best yet, when can I do this again? If you are camera shy and looking to change that negative narrative, then Ivory House is the place for you. We cannot wait to show you how good you can look and feel all while being photographed. So I would love to hear, there's been so many ripple effects. First of all, Katie, you brought your team. And then Laura, you work in learning and development. So Katie, I'd love to start with you. You brought your team. What what have you noticed? What, what has been the cumulative, we were almost a year out. What have you noticed about yourself and the ecosystem since that moment? Yeah, I, you know, so our, our agile delivery team has gone through a tremendous amount of change. And the people that I get to work with are some of the most incredible people that I think I've ever met, truly. And they've all gone on their own individual like learning and development journeys. <clears throat> and so it was, it's been interesting to tie this all back into the way that we work. And so there's, you know, I'll speak to my experience of how I took this back, you know, to the two teams that I'm the scrum master for. It was we immediately. Well, I was a one team, one team gal in the beginning before I brought up my second team. So what I did was our next retrospective that we had coming up, I pitched to them, hey, just went to this conference. Can we start to talk through, you know, some emotional intelligence items, personality and working styles? Like, can we start to talk through this? So we did. And that team in particular, you know, immediately it was it was like magic watching light come on in their eyes once they understood how each other works. <laughs> it was, you know, from a senior, the response was, wow, I would have never connected the dots on that until you said that out loud. That's incredible. Um, you know, other pieces of that was, wow, Katie, I never would have understood that about you. But it mm -hmm. was, it started with me leading with vulnerability because that's what we did together in that room that day. So it was, you know, it was, it was, it was, I would say beautiful if that doesn't sound so like sappy, but it is, yeah. it was, and it was just, it was so cool to be a part of, yeah. you know, to watch the team because if from then on, it was like steamrolling. We were, we were just on a roll, just understanding yeah. each other. We were able to communicate with ease with one another. And then that eventually started to um, be federated out. We do a lot of work with other teams. We have a lot of dependencies with some other teams. And so, you know, being able to communicate better with people we have dependencies on ended up alleviating us in other ways. And, you know, being oh. able to allow for that innovation piece, you know, so it just, you know, it was, it was so cool to experience well, that with, you know, the team that I'm a scrum master for, but then for our scrum masters, you know, it was two eights, a seven and a five all in the same room. So it was... You know, and we, we each got something different out of it, but all stuff that we can continue to carry with us as we do, very much so. Well, and you know, what I heard in that is your team then was like, okay, this works. We, the other people might not have gone to this training, but they don't have to go to the training to respond to us when we set the tone. That's what you did. And that's 
how we shift culture. That's how you're the ripple. You're like, I am going to stand in my self-awareness. I'm going to be a stand for understanding your perspective. The four of us are going to do this together and then watch how people respond and mirror that. So you're creating cross, you know, cross team productivity, which is the dream. Or like, isn't that the dream? Like that's what we all want at the end. Yeah. Because how yeah, many I mean, leaders do I do I hear say, well, my team works, but when I pass something off to the other team, I can't trust them. This uh-huh. comes up all of the time when I am consulting. And I'm like, well. Right, right. <laughs> and it's and it's frustrating too, because not everybody is at the same place, you know, be it with in, you know, in my world, it's you know, in their agile journey. We have teams that are on completely different on completely different levels maturity-wise. And that's just dependent upon so many things. And and that's fine. That can exist. But what can also exist is we all have that mutual understanding that we're working towards understanding one another better. It doesn't matter where you're at maturity-wise in your skills. As a human being, I have become to understand that we truly owe this to one another. Mm. You know, we're, we're working far more than we are at home. You know, at home, I work from home, right? But I mean, we're interacting <laughs> hours and hours and hours every single week with these people. I mean, we owe it to ourselves to understand ourselves and then to understand them to at least shit, make it a little bit easier. You know, that's all I want. I just, I just want to do the work with people that I understand. Turns out there's a way we can do that before we, before we transition topics. One of your leaders that you brought with you is a five. And I, I saw him immediately because like, Somebody was like, is he watching? Is he engaged? And I was like, first of all, look at his data. Because when you have a five in the room, they usually aren't raising their hand. They probably aren't making eye contact. They're not necessarily sharing. If they're sharing, like definitely not in front of the big group. And I was like, you know, somebody, one of my team brought it up as concern. Like, is he engaged? Is he there? And I was like, oh, he's watching. Just you wait. And Katie, would you share, like, you know, he's not going to share publicly, but I know that you two have really like, bonded after this experience. Yeah, it was. And it, it was a huge, you know, and actually my leader at the time is the one, cause I brought it up and I said, gosh, I, I feel, I feel sad because I don't know that he got out of this, what I did. And that makes me sad, you know, and my leader, he's ex- an excellent leader. You know, he's on another team now, but he challenged my thinking and he goes, that's not true. Why would you ever peg him for that? What did you just learn about him? Mm-hmm. I would encourage you to revisit your notes and think about this in a different way. And I said, mm-hmm. okay, okay. So, so we did because there was a couple times where we were still missing after the conference. And then finally one day it just clicked. And you know, the way that it's, it's funny. So the way that he communicates, he reminds me a lot of my dad actually. Mm-hmm. So the emotion is not existing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like not in a bad way. It's just quick and to the yeah. point. Let's talk yeah. about the thing and be done, you know? And I just, yeah. I admire that. And so now that I'm able to relate it a little bit to things that I'm already familiar with, it's allowed me to understand him better, to understand his leadership style better, his working style. And just, and this is the message that, you know, I try to vocalize all throughout the department, just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong. Yes. So (laughs) that's something that I've really worked hard at, relinquishing control for everything having to be universal, the exact right way, follow Mm. the process, blah, blah, blah. You know how it goes, but just understanding that, no, he does things a different way and that's totally fine. I am guessing the shift was like, oh my, like, 
there was something that happened in him and something that happened to you. They were like, Oh, mm-hmm. this isn't personal. In fact, this is how she's trying to add value in this moment. And this is how he's working to add value in this moment. Cool. Let's mm-hmm. let this be enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, his, his technical knowledge is just, you know, beyond any expertise that I've been well, able to Of course. Fine. You know what I mean? like, so it's like, we, where am I missing here? Like, how am I, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's learn. it's truly, you know, what I love about the Enneagram is it gives us it's like the decoder ring for everyone around us. And then it shares the exact language within which to talk. You talk to a five, you give them data, you give them what you need to know, you do the thing. And they're like, oh, that was my love language. They will never yeah. say that aloud, but that is what they, that is the intellectual experience. And I bet you guys can now bond over direct communication because you want that. Yes. You just want it slightly differently. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Oh. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for bringing your team. Oh, yeah. Laura, fallout. What what has happened since conference for you? You know, first of all, it's part of my everyday now. Um, whether it's blatant and in conversation or or just helping me understand the people I work with. I work at a different company, first of all, now than I than I did. I work at a much larger company again. And work with a lot more people, have a lot larger team. And that I think would have been overwhelming that transition back into this kind of role uh, if I hadn't had this context to start. So that's where it starts. It helped me personally adjust to a much broader, more impactful role. I'm working with a lot more people across the business. But learning and development, I have started to see it in a different way. You know, we, first of all, had our team take the the free assessment, right? Just to get a a baseline and start having that conversation. We're a big team. There's dozens and dozens of us and, and we're trying to work together better instead of in silos. And has helped. I I hear people on my team and other teams using the language already. Um, And then you look at who we serve, right? We serve hundreds and hundreds of people across the business. And um, especially when you're in learning development, dealing with new hires, there's a lot of frustrations there, right? There's people start with a, a different background and knowledge. People have different learning styles. People have different disabilities, even, you know, that we have to, we have to consider. This is now becoming an additional consideration, right? Mm -hmm. If you have a one who is struggling, well, is it because your notes are disorganized or their Mm -hmm. notes are disorganized, right? How do we address that need for perfection? Do we have a two who is, you know, tuning out, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Great. How do we incorporate them into, you know, helping, feeling like they're helping the facilitation or helping their fellow class members? Um, So it informs on a deeper level, right? I just keep finding more levels where I can use this to help people and help people understand themselves and how they learn and how they work with one another. Um, it's 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 been an interesting process to get there, right? To start with self and then 
move on to people who I personally will never meet in my company, mm-hmm. right? I'm I'm a leader of trainers. So I don't directly have interaction with any of these these learners. And yet this journey started something that will impact so many more people, whether they realize it or not, because we have that knowledge and language as a team. Like I over and over, I mean you both are just your goal is to make big impact. Your goal, like that's part of who you both are. So like, let's, let's put that in one bucket, but also like all of your stories, it's like, okay, I do the work and then look at every other circumstance in which other people will benefit from me taking this step. That's what I heard from both of your stories over and over and over again. Like I get to do the work because it's going to benefit me. It's going to make my life easier. It's going to make work easier. I'm going to make my relationships easier. And then guess what happens around me? You, Laura, are able to expand into a role where you have enormous impact on people you will never meet. Katie, same to you. You are leading vastly bigger teams now. You are creating a lot more uh, interdependencies. Is that what it's called in your world? Like, like that, it, I don't know. I don't know the tech in your tech world, <laughs> that stuff. Um, That's it, yeah, pretty that, much this thing. I'm just, you know, bringing my fingers together to show merging. <laughs> um, but it all stems back to, do I know myself? Do I know what motivates me? Because Laura, what you were really speaking to is when someone is disengaged, they're demotivated. Now Mm -hmm. there's nine different motivations that the Enneagram clearly articulates. And it says, if this motivation is lit up for them, they're going to show up at work. They're going to be self-driven. They're going to be in their purpose. They're going to get that paycheck. But like, that's not the only reason they're there. You have a dedicated worker. If their intrinsic motivation is not lit up, you have someone only there for the paycheck. You think about it. The conversation happening across corporations, large and small right now, is the state of work and the state of the worker, right? Worker has changed. The worker's expectations of their employer have changed. The amount of time they will give an employer to prove themselves will change. has changed. Uh, and there is a deep frustration in leadership about this change in work, when in reality, We have the tools to adapt. We cannot change the state of work as companies, as leaders at companies or as companies as a whole. What we can do is change how we cater to the individual. That is where this is headed and you can fight it or you can accept it, but no matter what, it's happening. And so by accepting it and saying, great, how do we cater to these nine styles? How do we cater to the wants, needs, and motivations beyond a paycheck? because a paycheck is no longer enough. These are the conversations that need to happen in leadership at senior levels constantly right now. And we need to have that same language in those rooms. Oh, snaps for that, because that was it. Couldn't have said it better myself. And what I'm hearing is a call forward to the people in decision-making seats to do the work. Mm-hmm. Because as we both said, it is, it is actually, it is a lot of work. It is a lot of emotional work. It is a lot of energetic work in order to be flexible with other people. It is so much easier for me to be me, not consider anybody else's experience, not consider anybody else's opinions. I would love, not love. I think I would love to walk through my day, but like I left that girl behind five years ago. And you know what? That girl was really sad and lonely most of the time because it always had to be my way. So the truth is, I like it better now. But 
it does require me to pay attention to me and every impact I'm making. And that is what we get to call our leaders into. You have to be fully engaged with yourself, your surroundings, and every person you interact with. And the more you practice at that with this knowledge, the more frequently you realize when you've disengaged. So it goes back to that, you know, learner piece too. You recognize in yourself, I've disengaged. I'm not giving this person all of the attention and knowledge that I have. I need to re-engage. You only get to that when you're practicing it on a daily basis. Practice. Emotional intelligence is also a practice. And we, you know, in practice, we win and fail, you know, usually within 30 seconds of each other. So like, you know, usually when I'm having an emotional intelligence fail, I'm like, okay, team reset. Came in a little hot. Let's roll it back. In Agile, we call that failing fast. We say Mm. it all the time. Fail fast. Be a goldfish. That's the Ted Lasso. Be a goldfish. That's right. Okay, so you are now in charge of convincing a fellow leader. And I, I think we've like Laura, you you just you know sum it up because like, you got it. Ah, yeah. yeah. You are convincing a fellow leader to either attend the conference or send send their their team with. How would you do that? What would you say? And then Katie, kick it right to you. Oh, Laura, start. Um, sorry. Oh, sorry. Um Look at the problems within your business or the team, the problems that your team addresses. And at the surface level, it's always going to be processes and procedures and AI and, you know, changes to systems and that kind of thing. And that is where so many leaders stop the thing. When in reality, what we are trying to change, the changes that are happening in business are only happening because of people, right? The people who initiate change and the people who are on the receiving end of that change. And if we only focus on processes and procedures and all of that, we are going to continue to lose people all the time in every business because we aren't focusing on who's actually doing the work. From a leadership perspective, there is a greater divide now between leaders and entry-level professionals than there has ever been. And technology is part of that because technology is part of every interaction we have at work. And we need to get back to the human. And the best way to get back to the human is to understand the human. That's It's that easy. It seems ridiculous to say, But if you are a leader who is struggling to address change management or get your people to stick around or get your people to engage with each other, not just with you as a leader, this is something, this is the start of that journey. You understanding yourself first, you're understanding your team, and then you're understanding everyone that you serve within the business. It's, It's a necessity of the future. Yeah, we'll we'll go with that. We will. We will go with that. Katie, you're pitching to a leader. Perhaps we will follow that up. (laughs) I like you really just said everything I was going to say. She took it from me. I know you're buying dinner tomorrow. I have a feeling buying dinner. (laughs) (laughs) I just gosh, I've cited agile so much, but truly, it, it calls for people over process. And this is this is a message that you know we. We talk about all the time with our teams. It's people over process. It's the work's not getting done without the people. 
And in IT, you know, we have an understanding, of course, that AI is here and AI is great and blah, blah, blah. But it is a commonly understood fact that we need people. We're going to need the human. Okay. We just, we were not going to be able to saunter on and accomplish the things that we want to accomplish if that human aspect is completely removed from our day-to-day activities, um, including but not limited to certain, you know, social media aspects of that as well. So I completely agree, even working in technology, that technology does put us at a severe disadvantage because we're going to rely on a computer to inform me of a goal my team set, or this should be the way you do things. Well, Mm -hmm. which part of that considers that, you know, there's eight team members that I get to be the scrum master to that have personal lives outside of their daily duties or, you know, you know, anything, insert anything here. People Mm -hmm. have a life. It's not just about work. So understanding that and giving grace, Mm -hmm. um, which Hi, it's very difficult for me. I'm an eight, especially to give it to myself. But that's mm-hmm. that's what we continue to learn, right? And we evolve. And that's the whole that's the whole basis of this. And the first step, I would say, for leadership is swallow your pride. Maybe your culture mm-hmm. isn't as great as you think it is. And there's nothing wrong with saying that out loud because you can't peg that on one person. We're a team and it's a collective effort for everybody to invest in this. It's a collective effort for every single person involved to put forth that genuine concern piece. Because without that, without being able to say, okay, maybe I'm not doing my personal best. How can we do better? That's how we're all going to move forward together. Mm -hmm. Culture is not one person, but one person who sees themselves as responsible for shifting the culture can get that ball rolling. Mm -hmm. And I believe that to my core, when you show up and you say, yes, I am going to know myself better. I am going to work my darndest to understand the people sitting next to me. I'm going to work to have positive oriented communication, to be curious, to allow people to be themselves in front of me, because then I can cry in public. And apparently there's no consequences to that. It's Weird. just that was a stop, right? I love how we start this podcast and I'm like, okay, so we've talked a lot about crying in the first 10 minutes, but the reason we all, we all need to cry and it doesn't have to get in the way of productivity. In fact, crying can be one of the most productive things we do if it happens in a safe environment in which we can do something, even if it's just listen to that feeling. And so thank you both for entering into Enneagram for Evolving Leaders 1.0, the initial, because I've been able to have an entire year of learning and listening to you both and having my own moments of like, whoa, that I get to teach. And so we are bringing it back. We are adding a whole bunch of stuff that I've learned and reorienting, and I cannot wait to involve people in the conference. So thank you for being advocates for it. Thank you for just like being who you are in the world, because honestly, that's the greatest advocacy you can have is existing as people of integrity and being kind to other people. That's it. That's that's it. So thank you for bringing those people. And before we sign off, I get to do the plug, which is if you want to learn more immediately about this, you can go to the website. There is a free webinar available that there's three different dates. And so you can learn all about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. That's conversation number one. That's 
Okay, understand salary and benefits. That's all the extrinsic stuff. But I'm going to give you the cheat sheet to what's happening on the inside. So that's free webinar if you're like, oh, need more. If you're just like ready to come to the conference, that button is going to be available at the exact same place. So Enneagram for Evolving Leaders is at the Des Moines Botanical Gardens on April 16th and 17th. The doors are officially open. Bring yourself, bring your team, bring your curiosity, get ready to learn. And then get ready to, in a year, be saying, oh my goodness, I had no idea what I was doing when I walked into that room, but look at everything that happened. Laura and Katie. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for bringing this to us, Whitney. Real pleasure it's been for the last year. Yeah, thank you so much, Whitney. You've been listening to the Evoke EQ podcast, where we have emotionally intelligent conversations for evolving leaders. It is our mission to make the Midwest an emotionally intelligent place to work and live. Whether you're in the Midwest or beyond, we hope you have found value in listening to our conversations. You can participate by leaving us comments or writing a review. We look forward to feedback as feedback is how we learn, grow, and change. Thanks for listening and tune in next time for more curious, connected conversations.